Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Greetings, ladies and gents, in that exclusive episode where we talk about our favorite Scotsman, Sean Connery. Yep. So, mm-hmm. plenty of spy espionage, uh, royal acting, Sidney LeMay performances, and anal bum covers. Honest <laughs> gentlemen from the Venture Brothers. Yes, we are a league of extraordinary gentlemen. Um, so... I'll just circle around. Uh, JJ, what was your intro to Sir Sean? The name is Bond. James Bond. I saw Dr. No on cable when I was about six, seven years old. Hell yeah. That's the way to do it. I was used to Roger Moore. As oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because I'd seen, like, most of the Roger Moore stuff. My parents would let me watch it. And they're like, well, you know, there's another guy who played James Bond. And they're like, who? And I was like, Sean Connery. And I'm like, oh. So I got to see HBO. Would be, HBO, before HBO became, like, you know, cruddy. Check a wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Would, uh, <laughs> would play, like, Dr. No, Thunderball from Russia with Love. Uh, you only live twice. Goldfinger. They would do that like, like every month. There would be a Bond movie on, and then they played uh, Diamonds Are Forever, the last one he made officially. But I never knew he made other movies around that time. Years before Spike TV and AMC were doing annual yeah. marathons. So okay, yeah. that's a good history well, lesson. So that was around eighties, seventies. Eight. Let's see. Seventy five was born. Seventy five. Yeah. So this had to be around. 81, 82. Okay, just starting out. Nice. Yeah, just starting out. And then I saw him in Outland. <laughs> nice. Nice. Right. And then I saw him in... It's going to be weird for you, for anybody who knows. He was in a movie called Gawain and the Green Knight with Miles O'Keefe. Oh, yes. dear God. Sir Gawain <laughs> and the Green Knight. Oh, we, we, we had to mention it somewhere along the way, so might as well get out. Right now. Yeah. And then I started to get into all the stuff that he did. Um, post the first time as Bond. Nice. That would be, you know, The Hill. This is like later. The Hill. Yeah. The, event, uh, the Molly Maguires. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Wrong is Right. Uh, Meteor. Um, uh, you know, Highlander, of course. Um, I'm a Persian Scotsman. I'm Egyptian. <laughs> He's an Egyptian playing a, a, a 
well, he's he's an Egyptian playing a Spaniard playing a playing a uh, who's with a Scottish accent. And then I started to watch other movies that he did. You know, the stuff that he was doing later in life. And of course, you know, I got to see him play Harrison Ford's dad, right? Mm-hmm. In, and the Last Crusade, which is my favorite King movie of all time. By all means, yeah. So, yeah. all right, Jonathan, Sean, you know Sean Connery, Sean Connery. Uh, Jonathan, what was your first encounter with Connery? Well, this will kind of show my age here, but the first movie I saw of Connery was in the theater. It's the only movie I saw of his in the theater. Was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Okay, so <laughs> end of his career. Nice. Yep. Um, did you just instantly just see that he's just kind of a badass, always playing even these spies, uh, other ass kickers, and all these other various period pieces and crime films? And <laughs> oh yeah, and that's what drew me into him, and what made me discover a lot of his films later on, including the one I'll mention later. You know, for sure, and. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, where did you start doing your first Sean Connery impressions? Well, actually, the first Connery movie I remember seeing as a child was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah! Mm-hmm. Junior! Junior, but, uh, we for... named the dog Indiana. But uh, from there, I got to know him better. And, uh, of course, as a child, I loved Dragonheart. You know, I know it's not a very good movie, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. And... Uh, then got to know James Bond and uh, The Rock. I think it was probably the one I knew him the best for. For sure. Oh, yeah. So that's a good intro. I was very much a 90s kid. I would surf around. I, I He was definitely one of those actors. You didn't have to sneak in any kind of films, you know, that you might not initially be able to see because he just had been so many audience-friendly movies as well as mature audience films and all that. And so he just was always... I think what held him together is he even more so than even say Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood or even some of these other people who tackle different genres. He was just that was just it. He would tackle different genres, but he also tackled different roles. He never had a big enough head to where he's like, yeah, sure. You know, I have nothing wrong with even doing the supporting role. He seemed very cool in interviews. Um, and of course, I mean, fortunately, I'm not the crowd who only knew him from SNL parodies. No, I knew about him plenty. And had, mm-hmm. he, I always looked forward to even checking out his movies. And even if I didn't like him, I would, he was definitely one of the first ones I would rewatch him. Cause I, I just was so enamored by the performance or the character or just wanted to see why other people liked it so much before I just said, okay, tried to fail. Um, so <coughs> I'll, start, I'll start us off here since we can't not talk about Sidney LeMay. I'm gonna first role I'm gonna mention has to be the offense. Oh, as hmm. a UK policeman who crosses the line and just beats a kid rapist and killer just within an inch of his life, and then finally kills him. You see in uh, reverse chronological order just how he got to the stepping point where he's very indistinguishable from the murderer, and it's just. LeMay, again, has a wonderful time, you know, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, uh, 
various other 90s, 2000s thrillers, just knowing how to frame actors, you know. This is the guy who did fucking Fell Safe and 12 Angry Men, so he knows what he's doing. But uh, this has to be one of his best films just because you one room, you know, so one location, one setting, and just uh, the dread-filled music just reminding you that this is a horrific thing you want to know more about, you know. And was he wrong at the end? Was he right? Even though he <clears throat> committed a crime, you know? And even more so, just would you have acted any differently? Would you have just this once acted unprofessional and just beat a shitty person to death? You know, <laughs> just... And how you get to that point? How do you break down and get to that point? Uh, has anyone else seen this one? Yes, I have. Hmm. Never and heard of that one. I actually watched it in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, because we could get, this is like when we had VCR. So um, the offense was on one of the tapes that we had. <laughs> and uh, I got to say, being, let's see, this movie was made in 73. So he's two years off of doing Bond. Right. And he, he, he loved Sidney Lumet. He, he, they did the hill together. Right. In 65, about second or third movie they do together. So, yeah. yeah. So with this, it's kind of like he plays out of that comfort zone. You're not rooting for him. Right. You're watching him go, you know, break down batshit crazy. Doesn't he, he say a petty remark about the dead prostitute or something like that? Or Yeah. Oh, she was asking for it. And so... And and then then like Ian Bannon just plays with him, absolutely. And he's just like playing, and he's playing, he's playing, and he just snaps. And you you just go like, holy crap! The way they frame that bitch slap to the face and all that is like Jesus. And it, it even questions the animalist animal inside of us, you know. Those who watch this know who they are after yeah. seeing this movie. If you're getting off on this, oh, some, there's something wrong with you. If you are, if you are frilled one minute and shocked the next, I'll, I'll give you a pass. But this is like shit. You know, it's like people like this are not born overnight. This guy has either been restrained and been waiting to d- get an excuse to do something like this, or always wanted to do it, and just now he had his invite, or. or he has done it in the past, but never to this extent to where it was considered unlawful. <laughs> and I love how it just ends there. There is no courtroom trial or anything. You, the rest is in your head, and you're just thinking, oh, man. And it's like, what a mess. What a bloody mess. But excellent movie. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, Daniel, what could role number two possibly freaking be? Um, this is... One I'm going to pick here that's actually kind of uh, obscure here in the States, and it's a small role for him, is uh, King Agamemnon and Time Bandits. Oh, yes. There we go. Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Thank you. He, he definitely shows up, I think, even playing different characters for different time lapses. Am I right? Or am I remembering wrong? Um, he has like a small cameo at the end, I believe, but uh, mainly he's the ancient Greek king and just... Uh, for how short he's in the movie, he does a magnificent job. Just he, for, for one thing, for once, his accent is not quite as pronounced. 
Well, and what's it's yeah. even funnier because this is where you start seeing him show up, be a charming person. He's straight yeah. face, but he's he's kind of doing an Ernie Hudson, a Michael Ironside, where he's flat out just saying something straight face that's goofy and just will you know complimenting the movie at the same time. He's like, "Whoa, I didn't know Sean Connery's in this." Whoa, hey, you know that was a funny character, <laughs> even though he's <laughs> totally in the world that he was in. Um, yeah, it's worth seeing. I don't know if I would react the same to it now as I did then, but if you just want to get a sense for how it's, Terry it's a, Gilliam... It's a much blacker comedy looking back at it with the perspective of adulthood, but... Uh... Right. Uh, that's how <laughs> cynical uh, Gilliam is. But yeah, if you love the Fisher King and Munchausen or even you know his Monty Python collaborations, you might like this one. But I'll leave it to those to decide. All right, John, Johnny boy, you gotta, you gotta sock, uh, sucker punch us with another Connery roll at n- number three. Hmm. Well, since somebody mentioned this one earlier, one that I actually didn't see until just about four or five years ago, and that's Outland. You know, okay. Yeah. Not bad As a high noon type spaceman. Yep. It's a good fight scene in a kitchen. You actually, I don't know if you actually scouched or burned his hand on the stove, but it looked real. I bought it. Yeah. Just, uh, what was it just kind of really about the persona? Just seeing him in another sci fi role or just. What was that? And also, that type of film, just like the amount of tension that. That film brings throughout, and especially you know his performance goes throughout the film, which I found very interesting. And not a typical comedy performance that you would see later on. For sure. Um, yeah, uh, it's definitely one I like to rewatch once in a while. Um, it's not going to work for everyone, but I mean, oh yeah, it's cool seeing. Just uh, again, something when people were trying to be just different, it's like, okay, same story, different setting. Boom, let's try this. So, rule number four gets to go to JJ. Okay, um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, probably a, a role that he really kind of. He pushed himself away from Bond with this, and that goes with uh, The Hill in 1965. And I'm going to say this right now. I've seen The Hill about three or four times. And LeMay is one of those rare people. You know, he's kind of like Bernardo Bertolucci, where he can take something that isn't pleasant or isn't necessarily even a movie that you would really want to see again, but you're tempted to watch it again because... The layering is just a little more in your face, and just he does, he knows how to be blunt without compromising his vision. You're you're willing to sit down for a you know as many two and a half hours as it takes to watch the movie, and you know whether he's torturing you or whether he's being very dramatically rewarding. You never know. He's really knows. You know, this is the guy who adapted plays for you know anthology type shows, and then you yeah. know became. Did and, a lot of Dumont Playhouse and 
U.S. Steel. Uh, right. If, breathing. if he hadn't done this, Milos Foreman or some of those kind of, you know, great filmmakers who came over to the States eventually would have probably tackled it. Because, I mean, it's such uncompromising stuff, seeing these guys in a military prison and just flat out seeing, not only just seeing the on, the atrocious conditions they're under, but even the slurs and, you know, other Cockney-type remarks, you know, and oh, if you can... The thing I hate is Harry Andrews' character because he pushes them. And yeah, he, and he he. But you look at who's in that movie: it's Ozzie Davis and Ian Bannon, who we work with in The Offense. Offense. There you go. Harry Andrews, uh, Ian Henry, and Ian Hendry, um, Roy Kinnear, who you would never expect to be in a movie like that. And uh, I'm trying to think who else was in that, but there's a there's a movie he did before that, um, or a movie he did after that, um, which I don't think anybody's ever seen called A Fine Madness. I have seen it. Um, I don't and really I'll, remember much about it. But I... After the show, I'll bring that up to you. I'll bring it up to everybody. Okay. But this was, this was the role that he kind of was like. I'm do I'm I know I'm James Bond, but I'm gonna show you what else I can do. And the great thing about that is like when it's filmed, it's two characters. It's not right. a big it's two characters. Him and Andrews are going at it at one point in the office and he and you're you're like siding with Connery and then Andrews gets up and just starts nah, 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 and Connery's like, No 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 So it's like it's like it's like the way the dialogue is written, the way the scene is written, it's so well put together. And the way they show them going up and down that hill, my God, it was like, this is, is this what they did back then? Right. You know, I'm like, my dad was a World War II vet was like, yeah, you, if you screwed up, they sent you off to prison. They had you do the worst stuff. Right. And I was like, shit, you know, so this is, this, I mean, this movie was just mind blowing me. And they, I first saw it on Encore. When Encore, when Encore played, just movies right so I, I sat down one day it was you know i had a day off from work i watched the hill and i was like blown away by it you know had, did you way- ever watch their stars tv show sister company uh the directors yes lemay's yeah. featured in a great uh, retrospect and they talk about how he did the rare thing of not only making them trust him but just you know just rare blend of just taking theater actors and film and TV actors and just again, I mean, just making sure the story makes sense and the objectives. Well, that's why he's one of my favorite directors of all time. Sidney Absolutely. Lamar. He would even write some of the stuff, you know, just polish it. And, uh, very rarely has he just made a dud. I mean, I can't get into, uh, uh, certain ones, but, for the most part, even the ones that the critics didn't even react to, I think, are really good just because they show different sides of the actors we love and even just take just uncanny premises and make good use of them. And, I mean, you you flat out wouldn't even have something like Breaking Bad or Law & Order just because of his style is such a signature on every kind of narrative these days. Um, so, man, good stuff, good stuff, guys. Four roles so far. So... I'm going to tackle role number five with the 1961 TV production of, in the title role of Macbeth. 
Whoa. Definitely hmm. one he was meant for. That was a very pleasant surprise because, you know, every once in a while my mother would go to Ross. And I love Ross. It has everything, you know, <laughs> furniture, food, and uh, clothing uh, just for less. And um, and they would every once in a while have some of those, you know, obscure, you know, five movies for five bucks, you know, type packs. <laughs> and this was definitely one of those, you know, part of the Mill, Mill Creek collection, platinum disc. And, you know, everything else on the disc was pretty shitty or just never going to watch because who cares. But came across this and saw it with my grandmother. She loves all the literature and all this. And, uh, you know, I haven't read everything Shakespeare and I just like the influence of it all when it's used well, but I'm not also a purist where how dare you change one scroll of it. And it's just like, no, Shakespeare is just meant to be performed and you know, you have a good show if everything makes sense and it's epic. If it's not epic, it's just shitty. It doesn't matter what it's based on or not, but, um, this one is really cool because it even makes it's pretty edgy for, you know, a TV movie. It wasn't shown as part of any anthology, although I'm sh I wouldn't be surprised if it was in another country, if it were Spain or what have you. But um, yeah, it's just much like with a better version of Hamlet or something. It just shows him just hallucinating, you know, killing a man, taking back his kingdom, going insane, much like in his Lumet productions. And so that's why it works so well. It's just. It may not be a must-see, but if it if you ever see a pop-up on YouTube and you got an hour to kill, go for it. Hmm. Uh, I I just like, you know, so when I saw him in his later, you know, King Rolls, I clearly had already seen those plenty of times, but seeing him here later is like, yeah, fuck yeah, he's born to play a king. <laughs> <laughs> so as rule number five, rule number six, uh, uh, Daniel, I'll let you tackle. Uh, I'm going to have to give a tribute to my dear mother here since St. Patrick's Day coming up and say Dario Gill and the Little People. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the role that actually landed in Bond, by the way. Yep. Oh, the it, Little People. It may, not be a thing. <laughs> may, it may not be a horror movie, but it is a fun, cute little movie that I think actually holds up pretty well. Yeah. yeah was it produced for Disney or did they just distribute it later? Uh, the, the Disney produced it, I believe. They even did a TV special about it. Yeah. Yeah, he gets to sing. <laughs> Walt Walt met the Walt met the king of the leprechauns with Darby O'Gill. Yep, Perfect. I've seen clips of that. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he handles himself really well there. He you totally buy into his like yeah. He gardens, he sings, he frolies around. Strapping <laughs> young farm boy. <laughs> yeah. Sure, for sure. He'd just done Marnie for Hitchcock, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Jonathan, fire away. <laughs> well, I guess I'll be on the obvious ones, but I figured I'd mention it now before I do it later, but I'll say The Rock. The Rock. Yep. I mean, Losers I, don't go home. I don't know what else I could say about that. <laughs> Losers go home and fuck the prom queen. Oh, God, I love that line. <laughs> Nicholas, the one line that my dad always quotes every time. Gentlemen, welcome to the rock. Welcome to the rock. Welcome to the rock. Uh, for, for, for me, it's when the uh, colonel or general whatever says about how, you know, the, the tree of liberty must be uh, refreshed with the blood of patriots and tyrants. And Sean Kerr says, uh, 
patriotism's a virtue of the vicious, according to Washka Wild. Right. Mm-hmm. I love how the entire time they hint that he might actually be Bond or some other, you know, British spy with a bigger history. Um, and much like with Indiana Jones Free, it, it is cool seeing him not only kind of do a tribute to his earlier roles, but also kind of being very comfortable, grounded in similar kind of grit, like other military thrillers around that same time, like Under Siege and his own Hunt for Red October. So it was just cool seeing him just handle himself really well there and anchor the movie. I mean, you get to act opposite Ed Harris and John Spencer. Life is complete. I mean, shit. <laughs> you actually mentioned how good chemistry with Cage. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that swarmy scientist boy in line. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, fuck. He's with Candyman's Tony Todd there too, and just <laughs> acting against oh, all star cast. The cool lot of scenes in that movie. Right. I with want me. my fucking money. <laughs> uh, it's like did you see the we got the Elton John song Rocket Man? I don't listen to soft ass shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's you. You're the Rocket Man. Rocket Man. <laughs> <laughs> the Rocket Man. You want to be the Rocket Man? Yeah. Uh, awesome yeah. movie. So nice. Okay, so that was roll number seven. And so, JJ, what's roll number eight? I'm going to go with uh, Henry Jones Sr. You had to. Had to. Yeah. How can you not? I mean, because I'll let you explain. Yeah. With. <laughs> Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, the backstory was um, they had done Temple of Doom. And at some point, I think Lucas turned to Spielberg and said, you know, wouldn't it be funny if, uh, you know, Indiana Jones' father was James Bond? Right. And mm-hmm. they, they, they were writing the next movie. They said, we should introduce his father. So his father is Sean Connery. And, and it's... The perfect revenge, because, I mean, perfect. Spielberg had attempted multiple times to be a Bond director, and they just yeah. turned it down. How, they, they didn't want anyone famous. They only wanted yes-men who were established, but... Yeah. Yeah. Easy-going people like Terrence Young. The thing about that movie is my dad and I bonded over that movie, because, you know, it was like... It was kind of like we had a little bit of a, you know, falling out when I was younger, but... I'm sorry. Uh, the, oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. It was just really, we were just, we would always watch it when it was on. Um, but the thing I love about that movie is the way he, it, it, it it's the paradigm shift in some way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very visual when it needs to be, and it mixes brutality with, you know, all the war scenes and all that and the adventure. And, but I, when yeah. he's in the motorcycle and they're driving, he says, you know, he's saying, but but Berlin, yeah, four hundred. This you want to go in the yeah half the German armies after us, and you want to go after these. And he says something. He's and he says a couple of selfless martyrs. Jesus, age Christ, and he slaps them. Right. That's for blasphemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, and... whole, yeah the holy, you know, the holy grip. The fortress of doctors the over. Like there's, you know, and he, he does this part, and you're listening. You're like, oh my god. Now I know why my. my I had to listen to my father all the time, you know, when he would tell me something. Right. And the way it's all played out, like the scene where they're getting chased by the plane on the beach, right? This oh, is how. Doop, 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 doop. Yeah. <laughs> he, takes, 
he takes he takes the umbrella and goes chur, 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 and the, the seagulls just start attacking the plane. And then he turns and he's got the umbrella up. He's like, I shouldn't have remembered my charlemagne. Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and uh, birds in the sky. And yeah. I and he walks away and like his father's just you know in Indian Indian Harrison Ford dinner goes like holy my dad is really cool, you know. Right. But the best part of that movie is the ending. Definitely. Oh yeah. Definitely. When he says, Junior, lead the way. Yes, sir. Boom. And yeah. Right mm-hmm. He's been but bossing him around. He's been his mentor who he's always hated, but tried to be an archaeologist like him. He's the whole reason he got into his chaotic adventures in the first place. And I always suspected that um he never hated his father. His father and him were always like at opposite ends of what they do. Let like, alone the world, opposite ends of the world. <laughs> well, the world, but you know, he, here he is carrying a gun and a whip, you know, and fighting off, you know, the forces of evil. Where Henry's more of a scholar, you know. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's going to hit look, you with a book. <laughs> yeah, he, he's 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 looking. You know, he's looking after the. Uh, you know, he's trying to find the Grail. He's he's got all the. You know, the 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 clues and everything like that. So that's the great thing about is these two different. You know, the the son who's for adventure, the father who's more of the scholar. You know, that's the great mm-hmm. thing. That Absolutely. Movie. So, so mean, he does a really good role of playing the father. It's the only time he did it, and he really shone out in that role, you know. Yeah, I've seen some people even complain about the bickering between them that work, and I don't know what movie they're watching. I mean, this is the bickering of where it works. We learn more about the characters, and it doesn't try to be too cute. It, it's just awesome sauce all just very i mean we see more of indy's earlier chapter when he was first a kid so it's both a prequel and a sequel and so that's uh, i i have absolutely two three in greek (laughs) and that's why i love that hopefully us discovering like how he became afraid of snakes and how he got his whip and how he got his hat also right but the <laughs> Absolutely. I think I've seen it the most out of all of them, even oh, definitely. Raiders. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong, Raiders is great and Temple of Doom is good once you get used to the adventure horror. Yeah. But, yeah I'm a big Temple fan. I mean, I, 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 I wasn't crazy about it growing up. I just end up it, it, it's worth it just for the second portion when he starts saying, you know, we are going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and doing the bridge scene but yeah part three is like the one everybody loves because it's like you know it wasn't as loved at the time because you know they were sequeled out of movies and all that but it's like no they they did a hell of a job i mean just the sound mixing i think got some awards even and how could it not i mean that fully explains well (laughs) the thing about that movie is that came out the same year as batman Mm -hmm. right and star trek five the final frontier oh dear yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember people were going to say, I wonder how much Indiana Jones is going to take in till Batman comes on. Because I remember I would watch E and E would do the same. It's like, you know, Indiana Jones is the number one movie, you know. And I think it came out in May of that year. Right? Yeah. It comes out in May. Four or five weeks later, Batman opens up. Indiana Jones goes, boom, down to number two. 
and, Batman, and then Star Trek opened and Star Trek got it was doing good and then that just kind of faded out you know, <laughs> you know. also known as as Rift Tracks calls it Shatner ruins the franchise <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh boy uh, I love. I lo- what's funny enough is part five of Star Trek also deals with some religiousness, and, and like the best oh. part is just near the end when Shat the Shat just says, "What does God want with a starship?" <laughs> but you gotta suffer for all that other stupid shit first. Spock's boots are cool, but they're not as cool as father and son teaming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, and. I mean, he really did become a cool favorite of the franchise. I mean, after watching that movie originally, I realized if you can do a Jimmy Stewart impression, you can also do a Sean Connery impression. It's the whole son, boy, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's a crowd pleaser, but it's also a brutally efficient movie. It's also just a very gripping drama and just illustrates why we like the franchise in the first place. It just, <laughs> last great indie film. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so that was rule number eight. I'm going to let... I've been hogging it, so I'm going to let uh, hand it over to Daniel again for number nine. Hmm. How do you follow up with that? I, <laughs> I mean, if you want, I can mention a rule, and if you like it, you can take it. Uh, uh, what about... Uh, I mean, you can just tell us about uh, James Bond. Just... <laughs> Um, just the let me go through my it. list here. Um, actually, it's a bit of an oddball choice here. Okay. Okay. When he was uh, the villain in the uh, the Avengers movie in '98, the original oh Avengers. Oh my god! <laughs> He's like the only one who seems to just say, "Yep, it's a shit film, and got to do the professional thing." <laughs> yeah. And I, I think he was enjoying himself doing it. I got I got the impression he was like a young fan of the original Avengers when it was on TV. So this was kind of a dream for him. First time I saw that movie, it was on the Wetter Channel. <laughs> really? Yeah, they started, they got desperate one year and started showing disaster movies that had to pertain to the weather, like The Perfect Storm. And I was like, oh, I mean, I don't hate this like other people, but I don't like it either. Yeah, but before the History Channel turned to Ancient Aliens, there was. All right. Well, that's just it. They're the same company buying the same, or at least buying the stuff from the same production company that does Ice Road Truckers. And all that. <laughs> oh, boy. Ratings, man. Ratings. Uh yeah, he definitely handles himself that way very well in like a Batman and Robin kind of way, where it's like the villain is better than the actual heroes in the fucking movie. You don't remember Ralph Fiennes or Uma Thurman. You remember Sean Connery and saying, oh, that's right. I did see that stupid movie. Why was the show so good? And yet that followed the lost in space route of just don't adapt a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing that that movie also had too was at one point Patrick McNee did a uh, cameo. Right? Didn't they cut it out or something? And he was no, no, he's he's in it. Okay, I don't. That shows you how much I remember. He's invisible. Man, is invisible? Talking to an invisible man. Plays the guy who's the head of the the agency that Peel and uh, Steve are on, and he's talking to them. So he talks to the character's father. You know, it, it didn't work. Copy on every time playing the bad guy. 
but there's no chemistry between Uma Thurman and Ray Fiennes. So I'm saying that straight off. Yeah, Patrick yeah. McNee, he never really had, like many of the Man From U.N.C.L.E. guys, I mean, freaking uh, McGillan, Paul McGillan gets freaking NCIS <laughs> playing Ducky, and he gets all these, you know, they star in all these questionable movies, but, you know, David McCallum fares way better, and while McGee, I mean, he's like the best part of A View to a Kill, one of the worst <laughs> movies ever, so, <laughs> yeah. But the only good thing uh, is the song. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I I think you summed it up. Uh, so, uh, what's number 10 going to be, John? Is it going to be James Bond as a whole, or is it going to be something else? Uh, okay, well, I could probably say Bond. But I'll, for me, my favorite comedy film is Bond, is Goldfinger. That's that'd be no, that's fine. I mean, I, I when, when we do the roles, yeah, when we do roles, we do roles the whole, yeah. Uh, Goldfinger, I understand why people like it because it is kind of more suspenseful and it has a diabolical heist that's been referenced in everything from Die Hard Free to plenty of other gold heist movies. All right, there, guys, yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm sorry. fine. I'm, 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 JJ, you okay? Yeah, my speaker is. Uh, I dropped off. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. It's getting a bit of an echo. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I can understand that most people like to be nitpicky and say whoever's first. That's who I consider first. I don't look at it this way with Bond. I think most of the actors do do a good job. It's just, I mean, with Connery, you know, you had to have. He was bringing, you know, bringing that suave energy where he's like mm-hmm. this man of mystery, you know, before sure years before. Sure, good not sure, yeah. And I mean, even from Dr. No alone, you knew, okay, who is this guy? He's good at surprising his attackers. He's good at playing a card game. We don't even know if he even won it, but I take it he did, given the shit-eating grin he had on his face. So, I mean, he brought that moody energy. I mean, how he would even dispatch the guys. I mean, yeah. that, that's definitely years before watching, you know, any Planet Hollywood movies. It's like, okay. No, I, I go into that more because, see, he was making sure it was clean. No one, you know, he was thinking like a murderer legally since he's a spy, but he was also just, you know, being a lady killer and just I believed it mm-hmm. and without se- seeming too I mean, James Bond is basically always kind of a guy's fantasy, but he did it in a way where I didn't ever feel like he was a, uh, you know, misogynist, it up too misogynist or any of that. Yeah. Here's the thing with his Bond. His Bond was very serious. If you look at... And then Lazenby takes over for the one movie. And it's kind of like, you know, a fill-in for a little bit. When right. Moore took over, it was humorous. More... More kind of said, hey, let's give him more of a sense of humor about things. But Connery was always so serious. It was serious, but he would make those little quips. Like, you know, you expect me to talk Goldfinger? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Absolutely. And he'd have smirks on his face. But yeah, the movies were always self-contained, over the top, but always serious. And that's where everyone's got to kind of remember is like, 
it's also the actor's only as good as the material is like okay you know mm-hmm. like um you know uh much like batman it's all the tone you know roger yeah. moore you know a lot of people either like or reject based on whether they like goofy movies because that's how he plays it he's playing a goofy version of the saint and you know dalton and brosnan very based on the movie is like okay we're being campy this time sure i'll go that way okay we're being serious okay we'll give you bloody serious so and craig you know is kind of also based on that because he was also kind of emulating both the book and kind of connery's and dalton's darker moments so i mean it's a tough call because as an actor you're trying to make everybody happy so you're a shooting board gallery you know (laughs) Um, he did never ever again right which is the unofficial <laughs> Thunderball remake and yeah. it's now ironically owned by uh, MGM yeah. now that they bought it back yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah I even in that one he looked pretty comfortable and I think it was interesting by that time because you know that was where Connery did a lot of stuff for money but he was also one of the few rare actors who whether he did or didn't want to be there, it didn't always show. And he just was a true professional. And for him to just say, yeah, sure. I'll play the role that got me on in the first place in an unofficial movie slash remake of a bond film. And he's like that. That was just one of those where he, the fearlessness in his movie picks really showed in my opinion. I kind of like that movie. I like it better than Octopussy, which came out the same year. <laughs> because I got to say, with that movie, it's it's him having a good time, and it's I think him and Ir- Irving Kirshner are having like you know are like saying, all right, who do we bring in? Well, let's bring in Bernie Casey. Let's bring in Edward Fox. Let's bring in this guy. Let's bring in that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll go ahead. I'll work with him. And there's that relaxedness between them, you know. Yeah, it's pretty predictable, but I do recall it being pretty watchable too. It's pretty solid. Um, and there's an unusual gold heist movie in like the second half of it. And it's kind of interesting seeing him kind of react to everybody. In between the, you know, drilling and all the yeah. car chases. Um, very well said. Um, so we're just going to, we don't want to keep everyone here all night. So just swing away with all the honorable mentions. <laughs> Highlander, we can say. Highlander, definitely. Definitely Highlander. I mean, because he brought an Obi-Wan type gravitas. And so it was definitely one of those where it's like, oh, man, you know, had he played Obi-Wan, this is what it would have looked like. Had he played Gandalf, this is what it would have looked like. He made you actually want to seek out the first sequel just because he returned for it, although for a paycheck. (laughs) Yeah. Even though his subplot is the biggest issue of the whole movie, where it's like, how did he come back? He died. And you still follow him along the way because much like with I can't believe I'm fucking comparing Highlander to Indiana Jones he did bring that same kind of mentor and uh, buddy persona that made you forgive you know uh, Lombard's thick you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, French accent and you know he, he, he humanized the whole thing and it's like with Anthony Hopkins and Mascazzaro. He, you do, even if it's not working, you buy into it. So 
that leads us definitely into Hunt for Red October. Yeah, he's not Russian, but clearly the voice tone wouldn't be unwelcome. It's just the accent's not there, but can't do the accent. And I mean, I guess if we can buy, you know, Alan Rickman as a German terrorist and diehard, I guess we can buy Sean Connery as a Russian captain who speaks in English. (laughs) I'm going to say two movies. I'm going to go here with a fine madness where he plays a, uh, it was like the first role he did post bond. Yeah. Uh, where he plays a, um, a poet who is basically going to be committed for being very violent. And all he does is he like writes poetry and these women fall for him. And first movie you know, he did with Kirshner before never say never. Yeah. And, uh, then there's a movie he did in 1979 called Meteor, which was one of the last pictures American International made. Irwin Allen, yeah. No, it wasn't Irwin Allen. Irwin Allen had not, didn't have anything to do with it. Um, I'm not trying to be nasty, but no, uh, it was it was a movie that had the all-star cast in it. Yeah, Natalie Wood, for God's sakes. <laughs> Wood, who was actually Russian. Uh, My bad, it's Samuel Z. Arkoff. That's who it was. Samuel Z. Arkoff, yeah. Uh, Natalie Wood, Brian Keith. um, I'm trying to think. Martin Landau's in that movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hmm. But it's so funny. It was on Sci-Fi Channel probably around mid-2000s. I remember my uncle would always, you know, be cooking all day. My father would be doing chores, and they would always just... uh, uh, you know, have TV on, and so what easier to go to? Just have Sci-Fi Channel on the background. They got something wacky going on, or actually a cool thing, depending on the day. And uh, it took me literally a minute, and I said it instantly. It's like, oh, you guys are watching Meteor before. They're like, man, Cam, going to town with the movie fan. I'm like, yeah, yeah I've seen it. It's a good, it's a fun movie. <laughs> you know who? You know who directed? You know who had a uh, Roland Neem directed it and run run shaw produced it wow but it's, it's, the cast was natalie wood carl malden brian keith trevor howard martin landau richard dicehart and henry fonda yeah wow. it's got quite a cast for a disaster movie but i mean if you don't like meteor type disaster movies you'll probably hate this one but i mean it just gets to going it it just it kind of reminds me of the China syndrome from around the same year. It just kind of has that. I like how it's isolated and Connery is just kind of just very comfortable doing this kind of just, you know, scientific exposition, Max, you know, and fearlessness. It's like, well, what are you waiting for? We've got work to do, people. <laughs> you have a you have a missile platform called Peter the Great, which is pointing at us. And we have a missile platform called Hercules. Which is pointing at you. Now I suggest we we combine our forces and try to take out Orpheus, this killer asteroid. <laughs> oh man, he's really good in Cuba, which is another Richard Fleischer, you know, type action adventure movie. Just American di- foreign diplomat in foreign territory. You know, <laughs> he's not playing a Cuba, I don't think, but yeah, he's. Like at a U, he's helping people get away to like a USM embassy. He get, gets a cool tank chase, gets to use it. 
much like Last Crusade, um, if I recall right. But pretty straightforward movie. He's had a few that I have yet to see or need to re-see. I mean, Wind of the Lion is definitely one I need to rewatch. Uh, the Man Who Would Be King is definitely excellent. I mean, I, I do recall him and Michael Caine really liked working together on that adventure picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's just got everything, you know, much like the Rudyard Kipling story that it was already good movie material there. I mean, just having a man who gets, lets his ego buy into him, becomes a martyr. And, you know. John Houston wanted to do that picture with Clark Gable and Humphrey Bogart. And Absolutely. Said, I wanted to do it. And unfortunately, Bogart passed away before they did it. Uh, he would have been fantastic in that. It would have been a total treasure of the Syria Madre type yeah. fiasco. But what I hate so much about Connery's AFI tribute, which was a great special if anyone hasn't seen it back when it aired on USA Network, is they kept showing the clip of his final scene. And I'm like, damn it, don't give away the whole movie. <laughs> no, you got to have the scene where he's talking to Kane. Now, Peach, now, Daniel, listen here. We need to find a way. <laughs> and Michael Kane. Have you ever seen Steve Steve Coogan and that other guy do, do the imitation of Connery and uh, I I haven't, but I'm familiar oh, with Coogan's work. God, it's hilarious he, a, to watch. He is a funny dude. Um, and yeah, I mean, oh wait, yes, I did see that on YouTube, but it was what feels like eons ago. But yeah, um, I think it was part of his. I forget the name, but it was part of Coogan's like. Uh, fake reporter TV show bit, but yeah, it it they play so well off of each other, and it, it's just so cool seeing Connery again in another role where it's like he's the hero, and yet he's also the opposing force against himself. He is his own worst enemy. He is wanting to become a king of this village and have these people work for him. He's no better than the people he's you know leading a seven samurai style you know rebellion against you know (laughs) and the themes play well to him and he echoes them because he's just so in line with it um i'll go ahead and mention entrapment i was gonna say that one too or what is essentially a silly you know mission impossible type heist movie he this is one of those movies where it's like if you just go in expecting, uh, you know, replace Audrey Hepburn with Catherine, replace whatever, you know, 40s or 50s leading person with Connery, it, it works on that level. Implausible as hell, not an inspired screenplay, but a very fun caper nonetheless. And they, I totally buy into their relationship. But I. Out of sight kind of way. Yeah. We got Untouchables. Untouchables had to. That mammoth script was meant for him. It was like, yep. Uh, I, I love the opening scene where he's just playing the patrol officer and he's just like, just throw it in the goddamn trash. <laughs> mm-hmm. He he's he's he does not put up with anyone's bullshit. <laughs> well, I love his being Italian. I love his uh, right, just, just like a dago bringing you know, dumb. What do you say? Just like a dago bringing a gun to a knife fight. You know, he oh. echoes that uh, about two years later in the other Sidney Lumet movie, uh, Family Business. Yeah, yeah and, grab all that goddamn pasta. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, 
I saw. I only saw it on Comedy Central, so the language was censored. But there were still many funny bits where he just tackles his son, Dustin Hoffman, and says, "Get over here, you damn midget!" <laughs> and just flat out, while he's hitting his ass over the head with it, he's like, "Man!" And it's a cool premise because it's inspired by a real event. And Lemay said he, you know, got blasted for it because of the casting and all. It's been regarded as a decent movie as time has moved yeah. on, but. He noted how he approached it with a campy treatment. He just, the story appealed to him. I'll half agree. I think it's a good movie, but I can take it serious. And I think it delivers as a comedy and a drama because it shows, you know, three generations of thieves, you know, brought Matthew Broderick. And for this is probably the, one of the few roles I love him out of, you know, outside of Ferris Bueller. <laughs> he just was always just appearing in movies that, he was either miscast in or just not well used or just never really took off as much as, you know, Bueller. But this one is interesting because he just plays it straight, kind of like in Biloxi Blues. And he just plays just so well off of, you know, Angry Dad, Justin Hoffman and Wise Ass and Troublemaker, you know, Granddad, Sean Connery. And uh, I won't give it away, but it it's rare that I see even crime comedies like this. The most would probably be like the remake of going in style. Yeah. And, and, uh, Oh, there's plenty of other ones, but you know, hell look at anything with Michael Caine or Morgan Freeman. They do a heist movie about every five years. So, um, that's true. And I'm not even talking about their well known ones. Like they seriously legit. I'll see them always play some kind of thief or safe cracker or wise ass in some crime caper. And it, I think it's just interesting just seeing Connery in this because, you know, he gets to go on trial and he's still he's so comfortable working with LeMay. And yet he still brings a totally different kind of character to this whole mix. That's why I like it. Um, hell, he hated work on it, but I'll mention it. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, because he is in total James Bond. Movie, yeah. Yeah. Dressed up as Indiana Jones. But I mean, the beginning of the movie, he shoots a guy who, you know. He injures, and the guy then, I think, tries to poison himself or something. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. So it's like the beginning of Dr. No. And <laughs> it just, his misery is our enjoyment. I'm sorry. I think he really carries this movie. I actually like this better than the comic, which I think is overkill. Don't get me wrong. I like some of Alan Moore's stuff. Like, V for Dead is fantastic. But, like, this, both the book, comic and the movie. But, like, this, like, his this movie is. tendencies were on display. Yeah. I mean, if you enjoy it in a Rocketeer way, it probably works better from that. But I mean, O3 was a big year and they had to play against not only so many other blockbusters, but Matrix type knockoffs as well as Matrix. I'm, I'm referring to the comic. Alan Moore's worst tendencies really were like a full oh, display in that comic. Oh, yeah. I mean, it opens up with like a abuse and a rape. I'm like, that's not what I want to see in a comic book. I want to see you know, dark history, people brewing. Yeah. yeah. It's sad because that movie had a director like Stephen Norrington, who I actually quite liked a few of his works before with Death Machine and Blade. So. Connery did not get along with him either. Yeah, that's the problem there. You know. And that's why he retired. Well, I want to bring up a movie that he did with uh, John Borman that we all have kind of seen in the peripheral. I don't know if we've brought it up. I don't know. Um, a movie that he made 
where he basically wore a bandolero and a red pair of a red diaper. Oh, we're talking oh, about Zardas. All yes, right, perfect. Mm. Cor- I thought Cor- so. Corman produced that. No, no, it was John Borman. Oh, Borman. I thought you said Roger Corman. I'm like, I don't recall Roger Corman ever working with Connery, but yeah. Oh, maybe. That that was a movie he did right after The Offense. Yep, years before Outland. This is but like the beginning of his sci-fi roles. (laughs) And I, my mom, I remember it was on Channel 11. Oh, dear. Yeah, Channel 11 played it. How'd they edit it? Yeah, it was the it was like on channel 11 and I watched it and I couldn't get them. I that's Sean Connery. Okay, fine. Jake can watch it about maybe a half an hour into it. I was like, what the hell is this about? Right. These guys it walk was... around. They wear these masks. They shoot people. Then there's these, it, it, it was kind of like, um, what's the word? Battlefield earth. <laughs> Battlefield Earth. It's kind of like um uh like two thousand and one meets Lord of the Rings. Meets oh, two thousand and one meets uh like you know, like Brave New World. It's a Brave uh, New World. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Uh and I've seen people even compare it to Logan's run. Is that kind of dystopian? Yeah. I think it's well intended, and every bad movie lover or B movie fan should totally see it. I I don't know how to suggest it. Other than that, it's a trip. It's a total acid trip. Well, we when I was in school, uh, I watched it one night. I was not under the influence of anything, <laughs> and told my friends about it. And I said the line, "The gun is good, the penis is evil," and they called me to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> called Zardos and I was just telling my friends about it. he's like it wasn't no it's was the vice principal's office he's like and he looks at me and says you saw that piece of crap <laughs> like yeah he's like thank god yeah. you're watch thank so, god your principal was a movie addict and... oh, he, well, he knew I loved good movies and then uh that's after... actually the name of my sister's car not making it up she oh. named her car Zardas after that stupid fucking movie and (laughs) decided to watch it on Turner Classic Movies, didn't even finish it. I'm like, why is it on the DVR? Delete this shit. (laughs) Well, then he he makes for like a paycheck Wayne, uh, the Sword of Valiant. I thought it was Gwen and the Green Knight. It's the Sword of Valiant. I think it was multiple titles. Yeah. Actually a weird one. Especially it's, when it's the talking head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's decapitated and his head is talking. Uh, but he's very comfortable doing all these King Arthurian type roles. And I think that's why he rocks in them. Um, I mean, but second best part about Prince of Thieves. Oh, yeah. Now, the third following Christian Slater's well, F bomb and yeah. Morgan Freeman's speech as the Muslim warrior. <laughs> all right. I still love that one. That's still my favorite Robin Hood film. Yeah, it was pretty good in it. Um, I can mention the Presidio. Presidio's great. Again, another Navy cop role. Very comfortable working with Peter Hyams after Outland. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
And he beats a again. giant bar with his thumb. Right? <laughs> oh, that's a great oh. scene. How does that happen? <laughs> then you got Rising Sun, where Mr. Kurumoto does not want to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> um, great Robin Hood movie and a movie where he's half naked. Uh, Robin, Robin's parents are Richard Fleischer. Yeah, you never would expect Richard Fleischer to do that movie, right? Yeah, um, it was pretty pleasantly surprised. Bad ending though. I will say that. Um, I can barely hear you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting yeah. Out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Can you hear us? What about now? Yes. What about now? Oh, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh. Yeah, Robin and Marion, it's a fun movie, but it, it's going to really depend on your mileage. Uh, I think there's enough battles and fun organization to make it worth watching, but yeah, the ending is pretty sad. Yeah, first <laughs> two. Oh, first, really? Do you remember? Do you, does anybody remember that movie coming out? Uh, say, say, say again. Yeah. First night. First night. Okay, yeah. Okay. And how wild how Jerry Zucker, you know, used to be part of the Naked Gun and airplane team and then went on to do this in Ghost. <laughs> I I will say this. Um, never get drunk and go to the movies and see this movie because you start doing Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. And it's so wild how this is also the second movie he's co-starred in uh, alongside also the late great Bing Cross, of Chariots yeah. of Fire fame. Oh, yeah. It's the main villain. Bing Cross was also with him in A Bridge Too Far in one of his earliest roles. So, right. you realize it's the second World War II movie he did, Connery? Uh, yeah, he also was, yeah, that's right, in The Longest Day. And with I, like the, I like him in that one more because he's just very wacky and he's joking like the day... <laughs> as they're landing is like oh wait oh, don't wait on me i've got all the military supplies <laughs> stuff the like guy, that the guy he's uh with was the guy who's the beatles manager in a hard day's night norm oh. rossi yeah oh nice yeah but um no but uh he does the bridge too far he does that yeah it's kind of weird he, he kind of would do sometimes he did cameo roles and sometimes he do he do really, you know, he do really far out stuff, you know. I think he was just, I mean, and you see him contribute to occasional, just very obscure humanity efforts, and he just watching his AFI special back around 06, 07, it was, I mean, I remember my, even my father even talking about it afterwards, it's like, that was a very unique man on a very unique journey who set out to do what he had to do. And, and it's like, yeah, that's true. It wasn't just the stupid Hollywood luck story. He decided at a young age, whatever, you know, I'm not going to be an announcer boy. You know, he just, <laughs> he just decided I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to give the brutal honesty that I encounter in life. I hear he's a decent human being. I know he got some flack when he did like a Barbara Walters interview years ago yeah. saying, you know, 
women do deserve to get, you know, slapped. Uh, right, slapped in the face. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's a tricky territory. It's not like he's saying I'm going to abuse him, but whatever. I, I, will, I think. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go, go, go ahead. I, I was done. I wasn't. I, I, I will say this about him. Um, he had a very long and storied career, unlike his brother, Neil. <laughs> um, and if anybody started on ripoff film. <laughs> Neil, they did a movie in 1967 with some of the people from the Bond films called Operation Brother, a double double seven. Also um, known as OK Connery. <laughs> OK Connery. Yeah. Um, and the reason his voice sounds like that is because he had an emergency, ap- emergency appendectomy. Oh, wow. And he dubbed over his line, so they had somebody else come in. But um, it's interesting how the Connery family got into acting. His son, Jason, did some acting, was briefly married to Mia Sarah. So there's the Ferris Bueller connection again. But yeah, Jason, I'll always remember as being in a few awful sequels with Michael Caine to his Harry Palmer franchise. Uh, and playing the bad guy in Wishmaster Free. You know, you don't act like your dad. (laughs) Yes, don't act like your dad, yeah. Go back, go back. (laughs) Go back, go back to where your father, go back and tell your father to give you some acting lessons. Right. His father, his son basically kept getting obscure and then kind of started just doing random, just TV directions. And I was like, well, I guess you found your avenue. Um, Yeah, uh, Sean just seems like the kind of guy is like anyone could have a, a beer or a meal with and you'd get along just fine. I think that's why everyone just reacted to him. They just felt like they knew someone of that nature somewhere, somehow, any country. You know? um, he's also known for beating up a mobster. Oh, really? Really? He um, beat a, he beat yeah. a crook at some no, fashion show or what? He did a he did a movie. He did a movie with Lana Turner. Called another time, another place. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about <laughs> he beat someone up in real life. <laughs> he, well, no, no, no. He, he, she was with a, a mobster named Tony Stampanato. I think that's the last name. And he was like a he was like a low level mobster, right? All right? So what he would get abusive with Lana Turner. So Connery didn't like it one bit. Or you know, he started pushing her around. So he reportedly took took Stampinato, punched him in the face, and then grabbed him by the arm and pushed his arm behind his back at an angle that most arms can't bend at, and then <laughs> threw him out of the studio. That's fucking yeah. awesome. Interesting. Uh, and, the, to that. and this um, was before he got his arm broken by Steven Seagal on the set of Never Say Never Again. <laughs> yeah. Saul was the stunt coordinator, fight coordinator on that movie, guys. And he made fun of it on a Jay Leno interview while promoting The Rock. And he's like, yes, but I'm the bigger man (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) If you see Seagal now, he is a bigger man. Um... Oh, oh. I was just on Munson at the movies and we were talking Keith David and we couldn't stop making, I had to stop, force myself to stop making Steven Seagal jokes. <laughs> but the interesting footnote is that Lana Turner's daughter killed Tony Stampinato. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, 
She still couldn't bring herself to defend herself, but others in her family saw the mice in the connery. Oh, God. She stabbed them. She stabbed them like five or six times. What happened was that he was abusive with her one night, and she was sleeping in the next room, and she couldn't take it. And she grabbed a knife and was like defending him. And he's like, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And she just went up, and she you know, started stabbing him. Like, you know, Sometimes and- it takes monster tactics to kill a monster. <laughs> I do it. Put a nice Shank him. Yeah, you don't move that way. <laughs> Get it? Hey, good. Yeah. good. <laughs> Shank him if you got him. I should. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say anything because I have family in that in that business. So, uh, oh dear. Yeah, no, no, no. Just low, low level guy. Don't worry. He was. He was <laughs> just asked him one day at a restaurant with a bunch of guys in pinstripe suits. Uncle Frankie, are you in the mafia? <laughs> funny kid. Funny kid. You know. Uh, wow! You know, so yeah, that's that's what happened. But yeah, that's, that's the thing with Connery. You know, he he couldn't take sh- he didn't take shit from anybody. <laughs> nice. And he is deeply missed. He was definitely one of those like literally everybody responded and everybody had something nice to say as opposed to remarking about. And I think he's definitely one of the few he. He was always in a bunch of movies that every generation saw and everybody wanted to see his earlier movies because he had that kind of rare kind of appeal. He could be enduring. He could be an asshole. He could be a likable guy. He could be an anti-hero. He could be anything. And he just he could even be a villain who was and that didn't really even uh, deter anyone from seeing it because you just knew there was always just some unusual side to the villain, <laughs> per se. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely one of those. He. I doubt any critic even listened to any review of his movies. They they were going to see it opening day because he's had that rare kind of box office draw and likability. So exactly, it's been great doing this with you guys. So oh, yeah, I'm going yeah. to let everyone plug again. Second day in a row. We that's right, folks. We do two uh, podcast recordings sometimes back to back. So Nightmare Nerd. What do you got cooking? Well, as always, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can find me on YouTube. The channel is growing up to 167. Shit, yeah. So very glad for that, and thank you all. Eat, drink, and be scary. Anytime. And Jonathan Mark, uh, what are you watching now? Well, I'll be... Probably got some Dolph Lundgren films. Yeah, now we're talking. And then in a few weeks, I'll be seeing... New Bob Odenkirk film. It's coming out in three weeks. Nobody. Yeah. Yep. It's like falling down meets John Wick. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully it's good. Fingers yeah. <laughs> I hope. And JJ, what, um, do you think, what do you think you're reviewing next? Well, I finally got the box set of Mork and Mindy. Oh. Yeah. All four <laughs> seasons. And I'm going to work. No, 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 no. I'm going to review it because number one, I miss Robin Williams. And we I all do. I think, yeah, we all. I you know, I think we all do. And I saw his Homicide episode recently, and he. I can oh, see why he got an Emmy nomination for that. Yeah. Thank you, Inspector. Don't take this the wrong way. I never want to have to see you ever again, because each time I see you, someone has died that I love. I remember seeing but, his mother episode. That's. I yeah, he did so yeah. many great guest spots and uh you know 
for God's sakes, he did the comedy relief. He will be Goldberg and Billy Crystal were the anchors of that longest mm-hmm. time. Um, but what I want to do is I want to go through each season. Okay. That fourth season to me is always painful. They were running out of steam. They well, they got married, and the the good thing, the bad thing was they got married. The good thing was they brought Jonathan Winters in. <laughs> Robin's hero. So there were scenes they do together, and Robin Williams said at one point they would just keep filming and they'd run out of film because they would just right. go off a tangent. And behind schedule. <laughs> there's one episode Jonathan did before that, that season where he played uh, Mindy's uncle, and you have to watch it. I'll direct everybody to it. It's on YouTube. It's called Mork and the Family Reunion. In the family reunion. And there's a scene where he eats this organ dessert called Fleck. And he just goes off. And you can hear the guys and the crew and the audience just starting to crack up. And then Robin joins him. And then it's just, it's Jonathan being Jonathan. So I'm going to start doing a, a season by season recap of what was going on and then take nice. it from. Oh, I'm probably going to try to do Laverne and Shirley. And happy days. So oh yeah! The, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> all, all yeah, happy days. I'm gonna do all the Gary Marshall stuff, and hopefully I get the. Get Gary Marshall. Eh. And if I can, if, if why are you doing that? You're not supposed to be doing that. Um, hopefully I get. You're not talented. So hopefully I get to the odd couple, and I can just do all that. Yeah, the apartment is kind of like in the heat of the night where you took a great film with two beloved leads and then you did a show, which was also a great piece in its own right with two great leads. Yeah, you know? <laughs> just like, well, the, I, I just goes to show the impossible can be done. You know? <laughs> well, the great thing about the, if you watch the first season of The Odd Couple. It's the set from the movie. Oh, I bet. <laughs> it's the no. It's not. What they did was they had multi camera and then they went to single camera. So single camera, if you watch it, remember how it's, it was all spread out in the original, kind of condensed. They were filming to get the. They they actually had the the apartment from the movie recreated. That's why when you watch the first, I think one or two seasons, it doesn't look like the normal apartment did in the later seasons. So that's that's the one thing we have to realize. With with very cool. yeah. So maybe I'll go into Blansky's beauties and who's watching the kids too. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> who's the boss? <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, um, no, 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 no. Kidding. No. <laughs> I don't go near Tony Danza. Good night, gonna... gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> At least something good came out of that, and that was Judith Light, who became yeah. the TV queen. <laughs> Uh, still working. Anyway, yeah, thank you all for ha- doing a double header with me, and this was fucking awesome. Connery, you. you are missed, but your work will be beloved by... That's the other thing that was great about this. We covered a person that there's never going to be any generation gaps. Millennials, you might try and kill all stuff that's cool, but you're not going to kill Connery. It's just everybody wants to be like Connery. Everybody wants to see his movies. <laughs> this is one of them. Today I sailed into history. 
I saved history. Oh, losers who don't like my movies, they go home and fuck themselves. I am the king, baby. <laughs> All right. Everyone, stay home, stay safe, and wear your anal bum covers. <laughs> we'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails You. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin cough, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, please. Yeah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes. the Google Play, yes. Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah, we gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want us here to say, ah, 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 good fun stuff. Well, you. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't run the listeners away, Pete. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, 
Say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. Crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of her. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love your movies We love the bad ones, too So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you Oh, yeah Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes and gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven Izzy at eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. 
Who Was She? will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter 
at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.